Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about design and healthcare. This is a different kind of episode than I usually do, but it is one that I am very excited to share with you. I am joined today by Dr. Bon Koo. Bon is an emergency room physician. He is the first emergency room physician that uh, I have ever had on Scratching the Surface, but he is also the Assistant Dean for Health and Design at Jefferson University in Philadelphia. At Jefferson, he runs this really unique program called the Health Design Lab, where he works with medical students at the intersection of design and healthcare to think about how to redesign the healthcare system. He also just released a book about this work with Ellen Lupton called Health Design Thinking that sort of describes their processes at the lab and gives doctors and people in medicine and the healthcare industry the tools they can use to kind of redesign these systems themselves. Now, I've been critical of design thinking on this podcast before, so I was really interested in talking to Bond, someone who comes from outside of design and someone who does not consider themselves a designer, what design and what design thinking means to him. And me, being someone who knows very little about the healthcare industry, was really interested in how he thinks about these two fields, design and healthcare, and how they intersect and what we can learn from each other. And this, of course takes on a new relevance in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Though this conversation was recorded back in May, in many parts of the United States today, the pandemic has only gotten worse, exposing the flaws and underscoring the urgency for change. I found this conversation completely fascinating and hope that it provides a different type of example of the impact of design. Remember, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that is written by me, as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. If you like Scratching the Surface and want to see it continue, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. For all the details and to sign up, you can go to scratchingthesurface.fm slash members. Thank you, as always, for listening, and here is my conversation with Dr. Bon Koo. This conversation is different for me uh, for a couple reasons. I've mostly interviewed designers uh, or people who are like, came through the design system or who have studied design or who have, um, you know, kind of writing and thinking about design for, for a long time. And you are the first person that I've talked to who, I, I don't even know exactly how to say it, you know, not a designer, I guess. Um, yeah. but, I, I, I'm a wannabe designer, but I would not call <laughs> myself a designer. Yeah. And you're, you're definitely the first medical doctor that I've ever talk to and I will admit to you at the top um, that makes me nervous I'm like I, I'm one of those people that like tries to go to the doctor as as little as possible and when, when something is wrong I'm just like well maybe we'll just go away in a couple of days let, let, let me hold it off so I, I, I get nervous going to the doctor too so we're, we're in the same boat okay, okay. <laughs> so I as I was um, as I was thinking about this and kind of researching you and preparing for this I saw that before you went to med school, you had actually studied classical and ancient studies? Yes, I was a classical studies major at the University of Pennsylvania. I, I was pre-med at the time, so I knew okay. I wanted to go into medicine, but I wanted to 
study something that probably is the most archaic discipline that exists. I think there was maybe just 10 of us uh, majoring in that at, at Penn, but I, I loved it. It was, um, I'm just fascinated by ancient text. So it's, I, I figured it was the only time in my life where I could translate the Odyssey or the Iliad from, from Greek into English and would never have that opportunity to do that again. That was just purely, this is something I'm interested in and I'm going to just take this time, you know, <laughs> yes. while I have the time. Um, yes, because I, you know, medical training is probably one of the longest training um, yeah. in, in sort of time for probably any professional career. So I figured, let me do something that I will never again in my life have the opportunity I to do, translate ancient texts. I Something I'm really interested in and something that comes up on the podcast a lot is how especially when I'm talking to designers, designers who have studied things that have nothing to do with design in their undergrad. I've talked to, I've lost count of how many designers I've talked to who have studied like literature or, um, you know, anthropology before they get into design. And I'm interested in how that influences their work as a designer mm -hmm. was. And now at, talking to somebody who, who studied both classical and ancient studies, which I know nothing about and med school, which I know nothing about, were there overlaps between those? Were there was there things from you know translating the Odyssey that helped no, you in med school? No overlaps at all. <laughs> okay. I, I what I appreciate about classical studies is you know you know you'd have to learn Greek and Latin, but you would mm. have to um, articulate yourself in in word and speech and. Uh, oratory and and writing. Um, I think many physicians are horrible writers. We just do not know how to write. We've never had to have that discipline of of long form writing. And I appreciated that time where I could learn how to articulate myself in in word and speech. And it's effective communication, and communication is the bedrock of medicine. So only later on, you know, after medical school and residency training and fellowship training and being in practice as a physician did I realize how important communication is. It's, it's important in when I'm speaking to my patients, I'm trying to communicate what's going on with them, but also publishing in scientific literature and communicating science to a broader public. And and I think we're seeing the importance of communication and help um, at no greater time in history than right now in this present moment yeah. in the pandemic, when right. there is a lot of misinformation and disinformation about coronavirus, about COVID-19, and how important it is to communicate good science to the broader public. And I think many of us in medicine haven't had that type of training. So many years later, I've been feeling Oh yeah, that way, that ability to right. translate these ancient texts and to communicate knowledge um, has been extremely helpful. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that in a good, in exactly that way before. And I'd like to talk about communication and and med school in a bit. But I actually think this is a nice transition into design, also, 
especially if you think of design as a as a uh, type of communication, which I think we both do. Mm-hmm. Where did um, where did uh, how did how did you get interested in design, or where did that word design start to kind of find its way into all of this stuff that you do? I, I get asked this question a lot, and I I don't know, but I um, in high school. I, some of my friends went on to design schools and, and I, I didn't have, I had no idea what they, you know, they went to schools like Parsons and Otis in California and had other friends go to RISD and, and I'm thinking, what in the world are these guys studying? And I, you know, graphic design and, um, and I was always just fascinated by their work and honestly a bit jealous that, because they just seem so engaged by the work that we're doing and they were able to apply their creativity in in their studies and i i was just always fascinated by design i would uh, buy magazines on design i would i would be fascinated by the architecture of buildings and uh it would just kind of consume design as a pastime or or hobby and didn't without even kind of knowing what it was but um always been intrigued by it and felt jealous of people that went into design fields that got to apply their creativity it seemed like that they were just engaging that part of their mind or 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 who they, it was like so fundamental to who they are. And, and I just wanted a bit of that. I, I have two questions here that may or may not be related. Um, did you feel like a creative person? Like, did you, were you, did you have interests in actually doing that type of work or being a creative person yourself? And then the, the kind of flip side or the sub question is, Again, I, I, I'm going to try not to preface every question with, I don't know anything about med school, um, <laughs> but I don't know anything about med school. Uh, is there room for creativity? Like how does that, those seem very opposed to each other from the outside? Uh, I probably think of myself as a closet creative that, <laughs> okay. and, and, you know, I, yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a son of immigrants from Korea, and they came to this country because they wanted me to become a physician, uh, and so I was brainwashed from the earliest age, and so that led me to a um, training that is in a very anti-creative environment, um, medical school residency training. There's little room for creativity, and you know. I, I would argue that's an anti-creative environment because it's just focused on memorization and regurgitating facts. It's, it's a very just long, arduous process of rote memorization because there's so much knowledge that a, a doctor needs to memorize and to understand. And, and there's very little room for creativity and and, and I think early on, uh, before med school, I would, I would um, polarize creative people and non-creative people. You know, the creative people went into creative fields like graphic right, design right. or the arts, and 
And the non-creative scientific people went into fields like medicine and engineering. But I think as I started practicing as a physician, I uh, started to, um, I guess, develop a curiosity about creativity and design. And, and, and I came to this realization that, you know, taking care of patients, the, the practice of medicine is actually a creative act. It's a creative right. act too. And it, it, we have some of the most complex problems that we're dealing with. And in order to find solutions to complex problems, that requires imagination and creativity. So it's not a sense of creativity, I think, when the arts, when most people think about creativity, but it's really a, applying one's imagination to, to problems. And, and then I realized that, wow, this is, this is just fascinating. And, and I think we can actually teach creativity. That it's a skill set, just like any other skill. And so, yeah, so that's how, it was my long answer of how I stumbled into creativity and design. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I find that answer actually very helpful because as I was, the reason I was kind of hesitating asking it or kind of stumbling over that question is because I think it's easy to, it's easy and misguided to say that medicine and healthcare is not creative and you are someone who works in emergency rooms. And I imagine people come in and while we might not think of that as creative, you have to look at somebody and, you know, diagnose a problem and then find a way to help them immediately, which I guess is, you know, that's, that's, it's not what we think of as creative, but isn't that creativity really at the base level? Yeah. I, I, it's, um, it, it's hard and, you know, where, where I work in the emergency room, it's very busy. Um, there's a lot of time constraints. There's this intense pressure to diagnose a patient, to treat the patient, to figure out if they're going to get admitted to the hospital or, or discharge fr fr from the hospital. Mm -hmm. But um, what we find in medicine is that it, it is not um, black and white. There, right. There's a lot of yeah. ambiguity to solutions to treatments um to to health um i think people's notion of what what it means to be healthy is very different mm. and 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 because there's so much ambiguity um i think that we design really helps out with that what i noticed about designers is that there's such a higher tolerance for ambiguity than most right. of the physicians in medicine where we we always not always, but a lot of times we just think there's one answer. Here's a patient who presents with a physical problem and that, and there's going to be one answer to that. But a lot of times there, there isn't one answer and, and, and it requires us to empathize with the patients to really understand um, the human behind their, their disease. And so that's why I love this term of being human centered. And I think that is a, a core principle for all designers is to un understand, understand the human. And that is the bedrock for good design. It's also the good bedrock for good medicine. I, yeah. I think that's so interesting. And I want to come back to this idea of empathy and, and human centered design in a second, but I just want to follow the thread of kind of your interest in design just to kind of close mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. for a second. So where did you, 
when did you start to put those together and not, when did you kind of stop saying creative people go into creative fields, non-creative people go into things like medicine? When did you realize that design is something that you could bring into the work that you were doing as a doctor? Yeah, so I, I started learning um, maybe about six, seven years ago about you know this um, term of uh, design thinking that's become very popularized uh, nowadays. And it just provided a nice framework for me to understand what design is. Because I think if you ask a room of designers what design is, you're probably going to get a different answer every single time. And yeah. that, that frustrated me because as a, as a person who likes to be very concrete, Things were very <laughs> ambiguous and nebulous, <laughs> and and what what's helpful about design thinking is it provides a framework for non designers to understand what mm. design is, and and um, and now I, I appreciate some of the criticisms for design thinking that it is not a uh, just because it's not a stepwise process. If I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to become a designer. I, I totally don't don't believe that, but. It's a great way for someone who hasn't embraced design, hasn't um, been a practitioner of design to understand a little bit about what design is and how to apply it in their own own field. And six years ago, I had this opportunity to uh, start a design program at my own medical school. And that was both terrifying and exhilarating <laughs> at the same time. I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. But I, I believe that doctors needed a new, another type of skill set to deal with the ambiguity in healthcare to deliver a good medicine, and that it required more than just a scientific method. And I, I really do believe that um, a superpower that doctors can have is when you blend the scientific method, these traditional, uh, the traditional scientific method, with um, design research or, or creativity, you blend those two together. I think you're exactly right about, and this is something that I was really kind of curious to ask you about. So I'm glad that you brought it up first. Um, how, you know, if you ask a room full of designers, their definition of design, that, that all of them will have different answers, which I, I can confirm is true. Uh, <laughs> and something I was thinking about when I was thinking about talking to you is as somebody who has thought a lot about design, but comes from outside of design, how, how do you define design? Like what does design mean to you? And when you talk about the benefits of design in the healthcare system, how does that take shape? How do you start to think about that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, um, I'm, I have no idea how to answer that, but what, what I've tried to do is <laughs> uh, contextualize design in the healthcare space and, and it can take many forms. Um, you know, one, when I speak to doctors and, and nurses and healthcare administrators, I said, design is a great way for us to apply our imaginations to solving problems in, in healthcare. And, and it led me to um, write this book with a, a great designer, Ellen Lupton, called Health Design Thinking, because it's important to understand the de de what design is in that particular context of where you're designing. Mm. 
So design is going to look a lot different for a graphic designer and industrial right. designer in, in another field, as opposed to what does this design look like in healthcare, where there are so many constraints, it's a highly regulated industry. And, um, and I think it's been, um, for me, design as a physician as, um, afforded me to apply my imagination to um, solving problems in, in health and in healthcare. It's interesting to me. I read the book. Um, and, and Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> you're, cool. you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I found the book very interesting in that it was, um, how do I say that? It was, this is a book for people who are in healthcare, I think, um, and really giving them the tools to start thinking about this. And I imagine that these are all things that you think about and do in the health design lab. And kind of my interpretation of the book is we're doing a lot of really interesting stuff here. We're thinking about design in interesting ways within the healthcare system. And we want more people to know about who can't physically come to this location. And I'm interested in, did you, did you see this book as a book for doctors and for kind of people in healthcare? And how did you think about taking this nebulous term design and actually articulating it in a way that had very clear tools and ideas for people who know nothing about design before to then actually then implement them in their own, uh, you know, their own spaces? You know what I mean? Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah, 100%. You know, the book is, I think the, the primary audience is of those who are in the health and healthcare space. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is a, those are a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. The healthcare industry is the biggest industry in, in the US, one of the biggest industries in the world, you know, 18% of our GDP. And yeah. there, um, it is void of designers. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, why is that? Um, and, and I think there is just not a, um, one is there's not a shared vocabulary between the design world and, and the healthcare world. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've been in these meetings where, where there's architects and designers and medical people, and they just can't seem to connect and they don't understand each other. So I felt that there, there, there needed to be some vocabulary around what design means for, for healthcare. And so we, we divided the book into, you know, principles, methods, and case studies. And, um, but, you know, another intended audience for this is um, designers who want to get into the healthcare space. And I get a lot of um, emails from designers who are excited about getting into healthcare, but they're just struggling to understand what, what that might look like. And so I think those were, that's where those case studies come into really handy because we've had so many great contributors who've, who've applied design into a product or service or space. So, and, um, and I, and I, I, I believe that the next design revolution is going to happen in healthcare that designers are going to be coming into uh, this industry because health impacts every sector of our society. And I think right now during the COVID-19 pandemic, 
we are living that out that right. we, we can't have economic health for our country without good without good public health we've seen how if our healthcare system is fractured that will lead to a a total meltdown of our entire country and and that's what we're mm-hmm. seeing and i and, and i believe um a part of this is the bad design in in the healthcare system and policies and payments and infrastructure, the products, the services, and there's no greater time than this time right now for um, better, better design and creativity. Yeah, I, this is exactly what I was kind of curious in, in asking you about, because um, I'm, I can sometimes be very cynical about design. <laughs> Uh, same, and, same here. And, same here. Okay. And well, but what struck me in in the the things I've written or things that I've read that you have written about design, the other interviews that you've done is is I was so, I was like in awe of how how much you love design. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm not saying that I don't, but I was just like like. Oh, he, he's like, he sees so much potential in it that sometimes I fail to see. And some of that is probably just like being a little bit too close to it. Sometimes it's like, you know, seeing, seeing the negative side of it. And so like, especially in this moment, I, I'm just like, I don't want designers to, to respond to COVID-19 saying like, let's make a new poster campaign. Sure. You know, <laughs> sure. let's, let's design cooler masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just like, no, like, is that really the best that we can do? And I, and I think that you, your book talks about things that are at that kind of level. I think, you know, you've talked about things like redesigning waiting rooms and things like that, but you're also talking about like real systemic redesigns and how, <laughs> this is a big question. How do you think that happens or how does that what would that actually look like? Because the healthcare system from, you know, insurance to doctors, to patients, to the physical space, to the, the processes are all interconnected. Um, how do you actually kind of redesign for real change as opposed to superficial uh, kind of surface level change, which I think is where a lot of the criticism of design thinking comes from. And, and a lot of my previous criticism of design thinking is that it often kind of stops at that surface level. And you're thinking about it much deeper than that. How does that actually happen? Or what would that kind of look like for you? Yeah, no, yeah, 100%. I, yeah, healthcare is not going to change by throwing a couple of designers into a hospital. <laughs> right, right, the, right. But I, I believe that having more of a, a mindset of a designer helps us to um, unlock some of our creative potential and mm. to get through this current crisis is going to require a lot of creativity. It's going to require us tapping into our imaginations and thinking about new solutions. The there is no going back to the normal uh, pre-COVID. There, I mean, I, I walked into an emergency room um, a couple of days after working my last shift, and all of a sudden I saw patients with COVID um, 
my colleagues were wearing PPE, they were wearing those masks with the respirators. And I, it was just shocking. I, I, I thought I'm in a different world right now. And so with this um, total meltdown of what's going on in an entire world, there, there's no great opportunity right now to think about how we can um, re redesign this, this entire system. And, and I, and I think um, an, an important first start is, you know, we, we talk about in, in, in our book is this, you know, what are, what are the questions that we need to start asking for our healthcare system and, and our country? You know, some of these questions might be, you know, how, how are we going to protect our communities of color? How are we going to um, invest in, in public health? Uh, how are we going to protect our, our patients and uh, clinicians as they uh, go into hospitals in, in this new world? And, and it's important for us to pause and to, and to, and I think what's helpful is to look at these challenges as um, design challenges and, right. and to frame it that way, because otherwise, yeah, I get, I get really cynical that it, it is very <laughs> difficult to, you know, when, when I'm working in a system where um, my patients, their insur health insurance is tied into their employment. And right, right now we have the biggest unemployment crisis in, in our nation's history. What is that going to look like for, 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 for our country? So, so yeah, a, a design thinking workshop is not going to change this, right? But a, right. Uh, I think really if, if we can embrace a little bit more of you know, a, how a designer might think about a problem and more of the designer, designer's mindset that's going to just be in another, I think, tool that's going to help us think about re redesigning uh, this entire system. How, how, do you, how do you reconcile or start to kind of articulate that intersection between kind of how, what you're referring to as kind of the designer's mindset, which I, which I agree with this idea of kind of being okay with uncertainty of kind of experimenting iteration, uh, kind of trying different things, um, you know, kind of, uh, I'm using a lot of buzzwords right now, rapid prototyping, et cetera, et cetera, um, with the more kind of doctor or medicine mindset, which is, you know, once certainty, once uh, clear answers, when in general, these questions can sometimes be life and death uh, for a patient. Um, but also in this moment, how do you, you know, how do you uh, allow for space for creativity and iteration, etc., with knowing this is real people and real problems. Yeah. The, yeah. So I, I'm not going to be uh, prototyping and iterating how I'm going to intubate a patient with COVID-19 when I'm in the emergency department, right? Right. 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 right, right. So that's not, I think that's not what I'm, I'm talking about when infusing a design yeah, yeah. To, to healthcare or, or surgeons. I can think about, oh, I'm going to prototype a new, new way of, doing a craniotomy here, here. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, there, there are opportunities. Um, uh, uh, 
let, let's say, and I'm not saying I was not saying that you were doing that. No, I, just no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I just want to, I just wanted to preface yeah. that for, you know, cause some people think about designing just like in, in real time in, in point of care, but there are, um, there are just so many problems right now. And for, for one, we have to rethink, let's think about the built environment and design. We have to think about how we're going to protect patients when they're getting care. Uh, there's been a decrease in emergency room visits across the country by 40 to 50%. And that concerns me. We're, we're, we're not seeing the strokes. We're not seeing the patients with heart attacks. And I believe there is a delayed diagnosis because patients are afraid of going to a, a hospital right now. And they've been afraid at, when we were at peaking at, at the curve of, of the uh, COVID crisis. And um, later on today, I'm going into my emergency room with um, some architects uh, that, that I know really well, and thinking about how we can space patients apart six feet. Mm. That's something new. That's not, that's not a problem that I had mm-hmm. to deal with a month, you know, a couple of months ago. And there's right. all these new problems that are arising right now. When, and when I think of the problem of uh, health disparities being magnified of, of, of communities of color where they've been so impacted by, by COVID that you know, the, the, many of the patients that I've taken care of who died are, are from African-American communities. And, and there's, a, there's an opportunity there to think about Okay, you know how this is just a, a really complex problem. How can we approach it from maybe more of a design framework and think about you know what are the types of questions we, we need to be asking? H- how are we going to understand? How are we going to be human centered into coming up with uh, solutions? Right. There, it's very ambiguous. There's no black and white answers right now. Uh, things are very difficult to think about coming coming up with uh, solutions i mean some, something that i think about a lot and, and talk about a lot and <laughs> kind of going back to our earlier discussion about definitions for design um, a way that i've started talking about design in the last couple of years is that design is ideologies made artifact and so it's taking ideas, points of views, worldviews, and making them into systems, whether that is kind of, uh, you know, infrastructural systems or buildings, products, posters, et cetera, and kind of making them real. And so I think it's interesting to think about that in the healthcare space and thinking about how the design of healthcare can show what is important to us as a culture, society, country, et cetera. Are there places, you know, whether that's kind of in this current moment or also just generally where you think the system especially needs redesign or or places that you're specifically interested in kind of rethinking how those systems work? The the entire system is screwed up and needs to be redesigned. We're we're approaching 100,000 deaths in our country from from COVID. Mm -hmm. Most of these deaths are... 100% 100% preventable. When, when you look at countries that have been more prepared, like South Korea, for example, where my car- parents currently live, they were 
a world-class example of crushing the curve. And when, when we think about this crisis, I am surprised by a lack of outrage among Americans with yeah. tens of thousands of deaths. Cause I think we have a mindset of, yeah, that, yeah, these deaths were inevitable. Mm-hmm. And that is not true. 100% many of these deaths were preventable if we had a better design system. And so mm-hmm. I think what this pandemic has revealed is our deeply fractured healthcare system, our, our public health system. And, and I, I think there's so many opportunities for design. I, I think, you know, one is just around storytelling and mm. coronavirus is invisible. No, no one sees it. Uh, very few people who are out there probably listening has stepped into an emergency room uh, and, and seen the utter chaos that, that happens. And, you know, the, the fear, the anxiety of, of patients who cannot breathe and cannot see their family members at their last moments of being alive because we want to keep family members from being in, infected. So, so um, you know, I think what people think of the current pandemic is, you know, all these information graphics, these data visualizations, mm. you know, I don't think ever before we've seen so many maps, bar charts, line graph plots, <laughs> right, diagrams, right. these speculative models. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much, and you know, the coronavirus has become visible in these data visualizations, but they're, they're really important because that's all the public ha- has to see. And, you know, the most famous one is that pandemic data visualization of, of flattening the curve that I think help people to understand why we need to practice social distancing because the healthcare systems can become o- overwhelmed. And I think there is a, a lot of opportunity to how do we how do we become better storytellers uh, in this pandemic? In this pandemic, and because there's so much misinformation and disinformation out there currently. Yeah, I mean, it's it's overwhelming to think about. I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine how you how 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 do you both think about this on like the micro and macro level, you know, you're talking about this on a narrative storytelling level about kind of communicating to the public. Um, and I think I, I had read just recently, and I, I guess I hadn't realized this, that um, South Korea and the United States reported uh, their first cases within the same week, same um, day, within same 20, day, within 24 hours. And yes. Um, and then in South Korea, they're already starting to send kids back to school. And, yeah. and you, know, you know, the, 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 the you know, the uh, colleges in California aren't canceled fall semester. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you about the, the outrage and I am feel, I feel that also a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm wondering how you think about that in thinking about, and this goes back to, <laughs> to the ancient studies and kind of learning about communication, how you how do you think about that at that level, thinking about this is a communication problem, this is a design problem, this is something that, that we can do better, but then you're also 
in the emergency room kind of face to face with it, like one on one. How do you go back and forth between those two levels? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I it well one, I've I'm trained and prepared to deal with emergency. So I've this mm. uh, you can almost look at it as though my uh, over a decade of tra- training was <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, was designed for a scenario like like this one and and because I can see the coronavirus manifested with my own eyes in the emergency department, it compels me more to think about what we can do as a society to fundamentally redesign society uh, in a post-pandemic world. And because they're, they're, we're, we're never going back to, to, to normal. I mean, you know, I think about what, what, what's it going to like look eating at restaurants? So what, what are these open office spaces going to look like? What about these, you know, so many people in the uh, creative arts are not going to have a job to go back to. And, um, I think it's really, um, I, I think, and I think about what if we have a second wave in the fall and winter, that's going to look worse than, than what we're experiencing, uh, right, right now. So, um, part of my kind of motivation and why I've not been sleeping much in the last couple of months is, you know, think about how, uh, preparedness, how, how are we going to prepare and 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 also when the system gets blown up how do we think about re- redesigning uh, the, the system how to redesigning even what what it means for our country to be healthy you know i think we're seeing a lot more people are more comfortable getting telehealth for example than physical mm. visits mm-hmm. and and how do we design that experience to be both meaningful to the patient and the clinician? So um, I, I just think we're in a uh, just this watershed moment right now as a society, and 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 there's an opportunity to design products, systems, and services better than they were. I this 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 was not a question that I was thinking about asking you and I was kind of thinking about this conversation, but you're somebody who I think is thinking really deeply and thoughtfully about this current moment and what it looks like after. And I, I I even kind of like hesitate asking this a little bit because I don't want this to sound like kind of that stereotypical designer ego. Um, But I, I think post COVID, however, we kind of like, you know, describe that or define that. I think you're exactly right that that will come with a complete kind of redesign of all of the systems that we know. What I've been trying to think about and articulate and have honestly been kind of struggling with as a graphic designer, as a design educator, as somebody who talks to people on this podcast is what my response should be (laughs) now not in the in the post covid world or if there even is a response and so for example you know with my students i'm like you know we're kind of like talking about the role of the designer or you know when the classes are doing like how where does the designer kind of fit in um but even on this podcast i've wondered you know how, how 
I, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to devolve into, you know, posters and cooler masks. Um, and, and the just kind of the discussion that designers should have. Do you have thoughts on the role of the designer or, or what a designer can do now, if anything? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, we're, we're trying to figure that out. I mean, we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm part of this uh, community called the Design Vanguard. And uh, one of the founders of it um, is, is Tim Brown and hmm. developed, um, and it's a really cool, uh, they, they just launched us a couple of days ago on a, a, a catalog of, of design projects that are relevant uh, to this pandemic. And, you know, some of these um, examples are, you know, the ones that you said around like PPE and um, uh, poster campaigns, but then, you know, they're also touching on, you know, what around the built environment of physical and social distancing. And so I, I think it's a good start of, of thinking about, you know, what the relevancy of, of design right now. And it's, it's a, it's a work in progress, but I, uh, I think there's, it's, it's just a great platform for designers to come, come into and, mm. and contributing and inspired by thinking about, you know, what is that role of design in this current crisis? We began this conversation talking about what people in healthcare and medicine can learn from designers. And you have this health design lab where you're kind of introducing design and principles of design to uh, people in med school. I'm interested if you have thoughts on the inverse. Are there things or principles or ideas that designers could learn or take from people in healthcare? Absolutely. A lot of times I challenge designers on, on getting evidence and data to support their design mm. intent. Mm. When mm -hmm. they say, hey, when they make claims, when designers make claims of this design is going to produce this outcome, then I will challenge them and say, oh, well, how are you going to measure that? And, and show me, you know, what we do in, in medicine. I mean, we have this whole field called evidence-based medicine where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we do randomized control trials. And so if we believe drug A can lower your blood pressure, we compare that to a placebo and drug B, and we mm -hmm. do these really uh, rigorous uh, research studies to um, uh, to prove, you know, it's, it's called study design. And we, mm. we, we back up our claims with evidence. And so when an architect claims that their um, design for a building is going to uh, improve some sort of efficiency, um, where, where's the evidence for that? Uh, when, a, when a product designer says uh, this uh, design of their the ergonomics is going to improve um, outcomes to to measure that, and mm -hmm. um, I think I think that is just important to get that data. It's it's a hard it's hard to do, um, and there's not a lot right. of funding for it. But as much as possible is to provide the evidence to the uh, design claim. I listened to an interview that you gave recently, and you said. 
um, that one of the, the, the kind of pieces of this that needs to be redesigned is actually the, the training and the education of a, of a medical student and that the kind of med school hasn't changed that much in the last century and that it's a lot of just still putting people in lecture halls and this kind of memorization, which was surprising to me to hear. And you are some, you are not just a, um, you're not just running this design lab and kind of talking about this stuff in theory. You're not just working in the emergency room. You are also an educator and teaching. How do you see med school and the education of doctors changing uh, in the future? There is no way that a doctor can keep up with the scientific knowledge and medical knowledge out there. It's it's doubling at this extraordinary rate. And I mean, just for example, uh, there's a, a new, the coronavirus is new. I did not study it in a textbook. This new right. disease came, came up all of a sudden and I'm trying to figure it out and trying to apply the best evidence as possible to take care of patients and impacted by this virus. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of evidence out there. And right. I, I, what, what, I, what I appreciate about the pedagogy that, that we have introduced into a traditional med school curriculum is, is uh, the ability to um, prototype solutions quickly um, to test them out safely. And that's something that we aren't accustomed uh, to doing in in healthcare, things mm. just move very slowly, and and also really to you know teach these skills of of how to build empathy for for our, our patients, how to how to interview better, how to understand, mm. how to be human centered, uh, because often as doctors we we tend to look at a patient only through the prism of the disease that they are experiencing. Uh, and we've, you know, we formed this language around them. You know, we call them, you know, they're not, you know, the patient with diabetes, they're the diabetic or, you know. Uh, oh, you know, interesting. We've, yeah. we've called them by their disease, but then I try not to do that even, but, you know, but we do that a lot. We call them the asthmatic and we call them <laughs> the COPD or the diabetic. Oh, that's as, so interesting. As, as opposed to, you know, here is, here's the patient with type one diabetes. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunity there to, to look at the, the human behind the disease. And so, and a lot of that, you know, I think designers are, are a little bit better at that than, than, than we are in, in terms of kind of uh-huh. being more hum, human centered and understanding this, uh, being comfortable with this ambiguity that, uh, that we ha- have not learn because of, I think, and, and I'm not trying to say, let's throw out the scientific method. No, that's a better right, right. medicine, but there is an opportunity to blend traditional uh, scientific thinking with creative thinking that those two aren't opposed to each other. Right. That there is a blending of those two pedagogies and disciplines. And when you, when you look at higher education, it's so siloed and fragmented that if you're a scientific person, there's, you really shouldn't go to one of those artsy schools, right? They're not going to teach <laughs> right. scientific method. I'm like thinking, why, why not? And conversely, if you go to medical school, that there's no room to be creative. Like if you right. want to be creative, you should have gone to art school or design school. Right. 
and and I and I think there, you know, higher education is another institution that has is blowing up, and there's no going mm -hmm. back to normal from 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 that either. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that needs a total, total redesign, and and that what gives. So I think for me, it's really blending in. Um, a, a creative pedagogy with the traditional scientific method. It, it's so interesting to me and, and connects to something that we talked about earlier that I wanted to come back to and perhaps kind of leads into the, the end of the conversation because in the book, you talk a lot about human-centered or user-centered and empathy and that those are kind of touchstones of what we now call design thinking. And in this conversation, you've used those words a lot. And I kept, in the back of my head, I kept thinking, isn't being a doctor, isn't medicine, isn't that just inherently human-centered? Like, aren't you always kind of dealing with people and looking at people? And so that it's interesting, that kind of flip from a person with diabetes to the diabetic. And um, I had never thought about it that way. And I'm curious how, how, teaching how how being uh being an educator and being a physician kind of start to talk to each other for you you know how are things in the classroom it, it, does that how, how do you bring that with you then when you are actually in the er and then vice versa kind of flipping back and forth between both of those sometimes in the same day it is well i I, I enjoy it immensely. I I have probably one of the most creative jobs out there where yeah. every day I get to apply my imagination to whether it's I'm in the emergency room taking care of a patient, thinking about, you know, what's the best uh, treatment for him or her and think about maybe how I could change some of the systems and processes going on there to thinking about how to redesign medical edu education to create the doctor of the future. I mean, that is mm -hmm. a, that's, that is a intense as equally of an intense job because I am, I, with my colleagues and anyone in medical education, we are producing the next generation of physicians. We're going right. to be taking care. We're going to be producing the next workforce who's going to be you know, cutting out your gallbladders and, you know, right, taking care right. of your diabetes and hypertension. If we do a bad job of doing that, then we're going to be producing many bad doctors and nobody, nobody right. wants that. And, and healthcare is changing so much. And the um, incubation phase for creating a physician is so long. I mean, you have four years of medical school, three to five years mm -hmm. of residency, one to three years of fellowship in some instances. And so we almost have to predict what healthcare is going to look like a decade from now to think about right. how we're going to train um, these bright minds that we have been um, uh, gifted with um, shaping what type of doctor they, they might become. And I, th I think that's... Um, that, that that is equally as important to me as taking care of the patients before me at, at the bedside. And what, mm -hmm. what we try to do and um, is to have our 
young medical students think about not only the patients in front of them, but the communities from where they come from. And, mm. and they would have, they would be as socially minded as um, in, in other fields. And, and I, I think that's going to produce um, a future system where if do- we had doctors who are more human centered, more socially minded, then there'd be, um, it'd be just easier to pass policies around how are we going to protect right. our vulnerable communities? How are we going to protect our communities of color? Right. I mean, we should be outraged that there are certain communities out there that are being disproportionately killed by the coronavirus. We live in, in, a, in a society with so much inequity. Um, and so I, I want to produce physicians that, that care deeply about these issues, that, that not only care and can treat the patient in the hospital clinic, but can, can, can treat those, those communities from where they come from. And whether you're an orthopedic surgeon or a public health person or pediatrician, I think that we, we should all care deeply about these issues. I think that's a great way to wrap up this conversation, which was so fascinating to me. Bon, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show at what I imagine is an incredibly uh, intense time for you. And thank you for the work that you are doing for all of us. Thank you for for being on the podcast and and best wishes. Thanks so much for having me. This episode was recorded on May 21st, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.